When we last left you on 100 Proof History, H.H. Holmes had moved to Philadelphia with his best buddy, Benjamin Peitzel. The two men were conspiring to defraud an insurance company and steal thousands of dollars. Holmes was a known murderer at the time and had killed several women in his murder castle in Chicago. In this episode, we'll detail the plot to defraud Fidelity Financial Insurance, as well as tell you about the downfall of Holmes. Also, just a quick note, guys. Uh, this episode was actually originally a part of last week's episode, one really long episode, but we made the decision to go ahead and do weekly releases, kind of separate this up for you. So there may be some awkwardness, the breaks might might not be where you think they should be, but after this, everything will be smooth sailing, and we hope you really enjoy this show. Which is entitled, H.H. Holmes, Part 2. Greg says something loud. <laughs> this is 100 Proof History. We're drinking whiskey and talking history. So, grab a drink, sit back, relax, and enjoy a few laughs as the guys talk about all the horrible things people do to each other. Here are your hosts, Chris and Greg. When's the next break? We got like four more, three or four more. This is why you're bad. What? I'm pacing myself. I don't pace myself. I know. You're always I, like well, dry. I, I got to race because I got to drive home. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I got to drink a lot really like I, right now. I got to get really drunk up front. Make stronger drinks. I'm saying that you don't have anything to drink usually for like the past four points. It's fine. It is. I, I'm fine. 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 I can quit anytime I want to. <laughs> <laughs> On August 22nd, 1864, Peitzel got his first customer a man named Smith, who had invented a device that could sharpen saw blades. Smith asked Peitzel a bunch of questions he couldn't really answer, basically like the basics of how long he'd been a patent clerk and all this stuff, you know. He's like, I don't know. Uh, uh, you want to do bidding or what? And he was busy negotiating with uh, Peitzel when Holmes walked into the store. Holmes didn't want to be seen in the store, so he played it real cool. He didn't say shit. He walked right past Smith and Peitzel and went up the stairs. Peitzel finished his business with Smith and went to Holmes, who had exciting news. His other friend in New York... Uh, no, you wouldn't know him. He goes to a different school. <laughs> <laughs> well, he had found him a dead body that looked exactly like Ben Peitzel. Yeah, fortune favors the bold, right? Holmes would have to go to New York, pick it up, and bring it back to Philly. Yeah, no problem, just transporting a dead body. So he gave Peitzel some cash and told him not to spend it all on booze. What, like I'm just supposed to drink fucking McCormick's all day? I'd like to take this opportunity to welcome in our newest sponsor, McCormick's Vodka. Ooh, <laughs> <shit>. <laughs> no, no one pays us anything for this. Ah. Anyways, by September 1st, Peitzel had pretty much spent all of his money on booze. Yeah, but not that fucking cheap shit. Like McCormick's. He drank it Cristal. Oh, yeah. He knows how to party. <laughs> and so, he went to Holmes' Philadelphia boarding home to see if Holmes was back from New York and could maybe possibly give him another five bucks so he could buy a bottle of Scope mouthwash and guzzle it in a Walgreens parking lot to get drunk off the alcohol it contained. Mm. Who hadn't been there? <laughs> Turns out Holmes had never gone to New York. Excuse me? Mm -hmm. Do you mean to tell me he lied? <laughs> no, not Holmes. Upstanding. Very, very upstanding. He just, you know, some shit came, you know, whatever. Shit came up. Uh, his friend, uh, BF Butterscotch called, said, <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't have a dead body. You just have to wait a little bit or something. I don't know, man. Uh, you know what? Don't fucking worry about it. Anyway. It's my homie, John G. Lippenhouse. <laughs> yeah. 
So Holmes was actually at home and handed Peitzel some more cash. Get it? Holmes at home. Oh, boy. People don't know this, but... Charles in charge. That, that cool thing that kids say, like, what up, Holmes, comes from this story. That's not true at all. You're making that up. <laughs> you don't know. Sherlock Holmes. It's not an etymology podcast. It's a history podcast. It's going to be an entomology podcast? Yeah, we'll talk Let's about, talk about bugs. bugs all day. <laughs> Patzel promptly went to the bar and immediately started drinking because he got more money in his pocket. Time to drink, right? As the bar was closing, he asked the bartender if they'd be open in the morning. The bartender said, listen, it's fucking Sunday. It's uh, the Lord's Day and the city says we won't sell liquor. So uh, if you want some more liquor, you're just going to have to buy a couple of bottles here and take it home and drink it tomorrow. Which isn't it bullshit I hate, at least where we live. Yeah. You cannot buy liquor on Sundays. Yeah. And football, NFL football, is primarily shown on Sundays. It's like, what the fuck? You better just double stock up on college football Saturday. Yeah. Even then, you can't even buy beer until noon over here. This is fucking... And the games start at noon. This is fucking Hitler's America. Hitler with his Bible belt. <laughs> yeah. And his finest Nazi uniform. Yeah, super religious Hitler. Anyway, <laughs> Peitzel did buy a couple of bottles. He stopped at a tobacco shop and bought a few cigars, and then he went back to his place on Callowill Street. And that was the last time Peitzel was ever seen alive. <laughs> on Monday morning, the saw-sharpening Mr. Smith found Buttfuck Perry dead on the floor of his bedroom. That was supposed to be a little moment of silence. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Not that he was a good man or anything. No, he was, <laughs> you know, he was equally shitty. But I'm Holmes. Chris. I'm seven. I want to burp into the microphone. <laughs> Here's this big, long thing you got to read. This is a big, long thing you got to suck. I said to Chris's mom as she entered the hotel room door. The murder castle? <laughs> I called it the pussy murder castle. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> well, the police rushed to the scene and found the body and ble- <laughs> oh, I can't stop laughing. And believed that he had been killed in an explosion. They called a doctor to examine it. He noted that the skin was dark and oozing, a red fluid was seeping from the mouth. And the man was laying neatly on the floor with his arms laying across his chest. It looked like he had died in his sleep, but the body was also burned like a fireball had struck him in the head and chest. But the rest of the room didn't really support the whole explosion theory. There was a corncob pipe placed neatly near the body. A chemical bottle was found, but it didn't look like it had exploded, but had just been dropped on the ground. Sloppy. Mm Mm-hmm. The body was taken to the morgue, and at autopsy, they found an ounce or two of chloroform in best friend Perry's stomach. But fuck. Uh, I'm actually going to call him BFF Perry's stomach. Best friend forever. Okay. Um, in his stomach and his lungs, uh, stank of this stuff. Yeah, they just smell like chloroform. Like, you imagine, like, cutting open some lungs? I mean, like, mmm. Mmm. Uh, mm-hmm. obviously chloroform. I'm getting high right now. <laughs> Somebody's going to knock me out and have sex with me. Please? Anybody? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm all, Anybody? I'm all alone. Better sit on this pineapple and wait for the effects. Oh, goodness. <laughs> I feel like coming off the pineapple would be worse. It, well, it doesn't matter. Well, then the high is over. 
you know, it's, it's just like when... You, no, I mean like the skin of the pineapples kind of... Oh, it's rigid and sharp. Yeah. Shaped a certain way. Yeah. So you've got to go in one way. Yes. So that when you came out, it would be... Ugh. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like one of them's going to fuck you up no matter what. Okay, yes. Tip to our listeners who like to th- uh, put things up Coconut. There. Yeah. Please, guys. Yeah. Well, no, it can't be a coconut because it doesn't have a handle. That can get absorbed. And then you got to go to the emergency room and explain why you got a, co- a coconut up your ass. I have become coconut. <laughs> um, we have derailed, but pro tip Mm-mm. to our listeners who want to shove something up their ass, make sure it is, you know, penis shaped roughly like a cucumber or banana or something. I don't know. I've never shoved fruit up my ass, but I feel like you need something that's penis shaped and you can have a good handle on so you can yank it out. That didn't at all sound believable. That I've never shoved yeah. fruit up my ass. Like, oh, you know, you know, not that I've ever done this, <laughs> yes. but here's a lot of pro tips one <laughs> after the other. Here's a lot of information, guys, from someone who has no idea what he's talking about. I promise it's never happened. All right. Well, sexy host, Fruity Butt Chris. <laughs> anyway, so the way the body was burned made it readily apparent that it had, it had been burned like after he had died. Yeah, because he has these burns on his arm and chest and face, but then when you lift the arm, there's no burn under the fucking arm on his yeah. chest. Yeah, so he wasn't alive. No. In the end, his death was ruled an accident caused by, quote, congestion of the lungs caused by the inhalation of flame or of chloroform or other poisonous drug, end quote. We don't fucking know. He did. Basically. Which, I get it. You know, 1890s. Yeah. Yeah, what are you going to do? I mean, we had this dude that didn't hack it as a teacher, and then he's a medical doctor, so. (laughs) Who knows what type quality you have the corners. We're just throwing shit at the wall, (laughs) seeing what sticks. Actually, I would like to talk about this for just a second. Historically, this is really interesting. Uh, Back in the day, you know, nowadays, if you die, there is a medical examiner, there's a coroner who determines your cause of death. He just flat out says, Greg died choking on dicks, which, you know, likely had happened. Back then, you didn't have one person ruling on this. Basically, a coroner would do an examination. He'd bring his evidence forth. The police would bring their evidence forth. And a fucking jury would come in and look at the dead body and make their own fucking judgment. Really? Yeah. So I did not know that. Yeah. So can you imagine like 12 just random fucking humans... Coming in, looking at your dead body and going, well, I don't know about this coroner's expert advice. I think this guy died from dicks in the ass, not dicks in the mouth, like you would have. And they have to go with that because that's what the jury found. Huh. Yeah. And so this that's what this jury found. This jury actually, they didn't know if it was the chloroform or the poison that killed him. That's why they included the inhalation of flame because they were worried that maybe the explosion had actually killed him like the police were saying, as opposed to what the coroner was saying. Well, gee willikers. Yep. Good to know. No matter how of dicks I die, <laughs> either way, the mysterious death made the papers across the country, including St. Louis, where Carrie Peitzel read about it. She had already been feeling like shit due to the stress of Ben being gone, and now that she saw he had gone through with his uh, you know, whole plot to defraud the insurance companies, she was having migraines and just pooping constantly. I know that feel. Oh, man, me too. Holmes showed up at her house and was like, yo, stop pooping for a minute so I can tell you the next step. BT dubs, this house smells worse than your husband's rotting corpse. I mean, than the corpse of that homeless guy we were pretending is your husband. Good save. End quote. Got it. She bought it. She totally bought it. Hook, line, 
sinker. He explained to her that she needed to go to the office of Jep the Howe with the insurance paperwork, and he'd get it all set up. She did so the next day, and the paperwork was sent to Fidelity Insurance. The insurance company thought some funny business was going on and asked that a member of the Peitzel family come to Philadelphia to help identify the body. Holmes then went to Carrie. She didn't want to go because she had a headache and couldn't stop pooping, as we have discussed before. Mm -hmm. She couldn't send her oldest daughter, Desi, because Desi needed to take care of the baby, Wharton. Do, 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 do. Sorry. Sorry. Fuck. <laughs> oh, baby shark. Yeah. <laughs> he said, Fuck you. Uh, needed to get, take care of the baby while Carrie sat on the toilet. Pooping. Yeah, of course. Which, when you had diarrhea back in the day, first of all, when you had diarrhea back in the day, it was near fatal. It could be, yes. But what did you do to the pass of the time? Man. Yeah, no phones. Yeah. Wi-Fi sucked. You're just going to sit on there and yeah. read the Bible or something? It's bar- barely even called Wi-Fi back then. <laughs> yeah. 1895 fi <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna jump out my window and kill <laughs> So after all that, it was decided that Alice, the 15-year-old and second oldest, would go to Philadelphia, poor girl, to identify the decaying corpse of her father. Poor girl because she had to go to Philadelphia. Oh yeah, more than identify the decaying corpse of her father. That shitty, that shitty, that city smells like piss. That shitty smells like piss. <laughs> no, you were right the first time. Go Cowboys. Anyway, um, <laughs> now I'd like to remind our listeners, um, we didn't mention this, but it's pretty obvious at this point. The kids actually have no idea about this plot. Like, they don't know that they're faking the father's death. Yeah. I mean, Desi. No, Desi didn't know. Desi was told when her father was drunk, but she actually forgot about that because it's just sweet, beautiful drunk talk. And, you know, sometimes that shit just... But she remembered it later. Yeah, later on... When she was the only one that knew that this was all fucked up later. Yeah, later on, someone would ask her, "Is like, did your father ever mention this scheme? She's like, oh, yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, Mm, yeah. I could have prevented all of this. God damn it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But the rest of the kids, especially Alice, who was going to identify her father's fucking corpse, had no idea that there was supposedly a fake corpse waiting for her. Of course, we know... That it wasn't a fake corpse. It was a real corpse. <laughs> oh my god, it wasn't a mannequin! <laughs> While Alice was on her way to Philly... And you know what corpses do? What do corpses do? They haunt people. I don't think the corpse haunts people. Uh, I'm sorry, Chris. I thought you were a historian. <laughs> An amateur historian. What the fuck do you think a zombie is? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm you sorry. kicked off of my yeah. show. Main host. Go ahead. You need the sexy host. Talk about my tiny rigid member. My <laughs> my masturbation handkerchiefs. Oh, boy. It's a tradition rich in history. <laughs> <laughs> While Alice was on her way to Philly with Jep the Howl Esquire, that's the lawyer, Holmes was contacting the insurance company to see if he could be of assistance. Uh, he actually does this thing where he contacts them and says, hey, I'd like to come help you guys. And they're like, oh, the body's in Chicago because that's where the policy was taken out. And he, he s- smartly actually realizes what they said and says, okay, I'll make my way to Chicago knowing that the body's in Philadelphia. And then the next day telegrams them and says, hey, I, I just read in the papers that the body's in Philadelphia. I'm going to go there instead. So it was kind of, it actually was a pretty clever ruse on his part at that point. 
Gives him a day or two lead time. Yeah. He then took his own trip to Philadelphia and spoke with the president of the company, which is real weird. It's a little weird, right? Like nowadays. I mean, now, yeah. yeah. Back then, I guess it was just like six dudes. Yeah. And so he talked to him. Uh, I could like speak to the president of the tire shop down the road. <laughs> yes, probably. Yeah. If I pulled enough strings, but fidelity insurance, nah. I could speak to the president of this podcast if you'd return my fucking texts. Well. Sorry, man. (laughs) Some of us are just in a higher station in life. (laughs) Anyways, Holmes went to Philadelphia, spoke with the president, and the whole point of this was to describe Peitzel's appearance, his demeanor, and basically how much Ben loved to call himself B.F. Perry, you know, buttfuck Perry, and play with explosive chemicals. Just solidifying the story. The lawyer, Hal, was brought in and pretended to not know Holmes and took fake offense to all the prodding and questioning that Holmes was doing. So he's like, who is this motherfucker? Why is he asking all these questions? He, he's, he has no relation to this case. Get him out of here. I've got Alice. I've got the daughter here. She can identify the body. We don't need this motherfucker. And they're like, no, we do need this motherfucker. He was this guy's best friend. He was best friend Perry's. Exactly. Best friend. Told you, motherfucker. <laughs> he was also buttfuck Perry's. Well, no, that's that's speculation on my part. You, you guys don't, you don't have to legally say that. <laughs> yeah. Together with Alice, they all agree that there were three ways to identify the body of Ben Peitzel. He had a scar on his right shin, a discolored fingernail, and a big nasty wart on the back of his neck that kept him from wearing collared shirts. Like, how fucking big is this wart? Spoiler alert, it's what identifies him. It's so fucking weird that this poor bastard, he had fucked up teeth he was like not the greatest looking dude and you see see pictures of his kids uh no disrespect to them but they're not the greatest looking kids no fuck them kids (laughs) and okay jesus said holmes who wanted to fuck the oversized baby (laughs) (laughs) anyway so he had this giant fucking war on the back of his neck on september 22nd they all hopped in a wagon with mr smith you remember mr smith he was the uh, dude that w- invented the thing that sharpened the fucking saw blade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they all rode to the cemetery where Peisel had been buried. Holmes recognized Smith, and Smith thought he recognized Holmes, but they didn't acknowledge their awkward meeting in Buttfuck Perry's patent office. Best friend forever, Perry's <laughs> patent office. And it's funny, in this, on the carriage ride, like, he, start, he starts asking Holmes questions, like, uh, so what do you do for a living? He's like, oh... I sell, buy and sell patents, just like uh, Pitesville. That's how we know each other. And then he starts asking him specific questions about, you know, buying and selling patents. And Holmes quickly becomes annoyed. Like, he's, like, trying to answer the questions, and he doesn't really fucking know shit about selling patents. So uh, the character ride gets real fucking awkward and quiet after that. And this dude just trying to, like, make conversation to detract from the idea that they're going to identify a fucking dead body. So it's almost like, you know, when you're hanging out with your wife's friends and you're all going out somewhere, but you haven't really had anything to drink and they're asking you things about your job and you're just, you know, you got the DTs, <laughs> you're over there shaking, yeah. you're covered in like a cold sweat and you're just like, shut the fuck up. Listen, is it, I, is I, it just like that? It's kind of like that, except when people ask me those questions, I say, listen, I do a history podcast. <laughs> and they they stop asking questions. They're like, oh, cool, 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 cool. Aren't you going to ask me what it's called? Yeah. Mm. Don't you want a link? I'll text you a link to it. I'm good, sir. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Fuck you. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> no one has it harder 
than the white podcaster. I'm just going to say it. Just going to say it. Mm. Your mom has it harder when she comes into the hotel room. <laughs> I'm the, waiting in. At the pussy murder castle. <laughs> in a robe. <laughs> but the robe is on backwards. Uh, so you, she has to access it butt first. Start in the back, honey. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Where the fuck was I? When they got to the cemetery, the body had already been exhumed and placed on a table in a shed. Holmes went in first. Pitesel had decayed so much that the scar on his right leg was hard to find until some rotten flesh was pulled away. Ooh. Yeah. They f- then they found the discolored fingernail, which actually took some work because he's fucking dead. He's been dead for God knows how long at this point. This is almost, jeez, uh, like t- uh, two months or a month that he's been dead. Like three weeks he's been dead and just fucking decaying. Yeah, close to a month. Then they flipped the body over. Holmes put out a knife and cut off the wart on Ben's neck to prove it was him. Told you. Yeah, like... (laughs) See, guys? See, here, let me cut this off. You can take it back to your bosses and show them this wart. And they'll be like, yep, that's obviously the wart of Ben Peitzel. B.F. Perry. That's how bad the wart is. Yeah. (laughs) That, like, this is his one identifying feature. It's nationally known, this fucking (laughs) wart. Holmes is like, look... It is bigger than my penis. <laughs> Sir, you have a tiny penis. I'll fucking kill you. That is neither here nor there. <laughs> but of course, all of this, all of the work Holmes had done inside there was not enough. They had to bring in poor Alice and have her identify her father. Because that's apparently how fucking things worked back then. They covered everything but the teeth. Holmes put a newspaper over the guy's face and uh, his body and everything. All they could see was the teeth. And Alice was brought in. She was crying her eyes out. It's just can't imagine why. Yeah, this is a really fucked up policy they have. And Holmes asked her if those were her father's teeth. Alice looked at the teeth and confirmed it. And this will come up later in the story. This was kind of interesting to me. That how often do you look at somebody's teeth? That's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. It's like I have three fathers. Yeah, you know they're in a polygamous relationship. Mm-hmm. I cannot tell you if I could recognize one of my three dad's <laughs> teeth. Teeth, yeah. You know? I guess, you know, they didn't have YouTube. They didn't have Netflix. Well, one of... I'm just going to okay. stare at your mouth for a few one hours. One of my dads does have a grill. So, I would. I mean, I'd recognize <laughs> that, but that's just over the teeth. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I mean, when it's... When they're golden diamond studded. Yeah. And they say coxman. It, like, yeah, it makes gonna, it a little easier, yeah. 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 After that, the insurance company paid out. Out of the $10,000 policy, Jephthah Howe would take roughly $3,500. Holmes would take nearly $6,000, and the widow, Carrie Peitzel, would get a measly $500. Let's not call it measly. Well, I mean, back then, it's like $10 billion today, but... That's like $18 trillion. <laughs> She'd be the richest woman ever in existence. Yeah, but... Okay, s- that's wrong. But yeah, but still, to get one twenty, It's a lot of fucking money. One twentieth of the payout seems a little unfair. And see, that's why these salty lottery owners, they get a bad rap. Because mm. it's like, oh, I only got $10 million yeah. of this $700 million jackpot. Yeah, poor me. Oh, I'm so fucking sorry. Go make a podcast and try to make money. Yeah. We're rich. <laughs> in laughs. Yes, in friendship. In, in butt fuckery. I mean, best friendship. You will not misappropriate BF, BF any further. <laughs> Pour one out for buttfuck Perry. Okay, he's pouring it in his mouth. Okay, good. I'm not pouring it out. (laughs) 
the studio part of the mm-hmm. studio is fucking carpeted. Why would I pour one out on the carpet? That's true. Can't do it. So all those people got paid out, but guess what? Do you remember Marion Hedgepath? Yeah, the uh, gunslinger that Holmes had met in that fucking jail in uh, St. Louis? Yeah. Yep. He, he knew the entire plan to defraud Fidelity Insurance? Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Uh, they didn't pay him a dime. Poor old soul. Yeah. That poor murdering bastard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I'm so sympathetic to his plight. Yeah. Of course, he's just going to take it lying down and just write that off, right? Oh, probably. Or? Or? We'll find out after this drink break. You see? That's a professional segue. Hey, you're a professional podcaster. Not really. This Always is, knew you had it in you. It's taking so long. <laughs> All right. We're back. Is that how you're leading back in? <laughs> That's how I am. Okay. Good morning, Chicago Murder Castle. No? I do like that. <laughs> Instead of what was Saint uh Cincinnati? Vietnam. Is good morning Vietnam is Robin. Oh, Roy. that one. <laughs> no. Yeah, Robin Williams. I was thinking um, WKRP? Yes. WKRP in Cincinnati. Yeah. That was a funny show. It was a good show. Yeah. Underrated. Yeah. Well, we are back from break. We have refreshed our drinks a mm-hmm. um, couple times. I would like to tell you what, listener, uh, for this next bit, for the end of this podcast, if you aren't drinking, just go ahead and pause this show and grab you a drink because you need to loosen up because this shit gets dark and it gets dark fast. And it will also make all of our mistakes. Oh, hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. See, I already said all of our mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> well, all of our mistakes. Yeah. Well, it'll actually be funny and well, endearing. Well, you know, mar means a mistake. Like, that you, is true. So I have marred this podcast <laughs> with that mistake. So let's, uh, you ready to get back into this? Let us do it. Okay. So what would follow next was a whirlwind of shittiness that's a little hard to follow. Yeah, I feel like this next part, we should make a t-shirt that's like Holmes's mystery murder tour. So you could have all of the locations that he's about to go to. It's listed off. It is very confusing. Yeah. So Alice thought she was going home to St. Louis after identifying her dead father. But Holmes sent her to Indianapolis and told her that her mother was visiting family in Galva, Illinois. Holmes told her he would take her there. He'd go to St. Louis and pick up her younger siblings, Nellie and Howard, and bring them to Indianapolis as well. Holmes went to St. Louis and convinced Harry Peitzel that the insurance company was still on their trail and they'd be looking for a woman with five kids. So he'd take three of them, you know, makes complete yeah, sense. Yeah, they won't look at names or anything. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this, she's only got two kids. Yeah, okay. that's obviously a different Carrie Peitzel. Yeah. So he'd take three of them to Cincinnati and leave them in the care of his cousin, Minnie Williams. Where they'd listen to WKRP. That's right, in Cincinnati. There's a big red question mark. Over the head of every listener who is under the age of 35 right now. Honestly, probably under the age of 40. Yeah. I was a kid when I was watching reruns of that. Oh, sweet, sexy Lonnie Anderson. Now there's a big question mark under everybody. Penis Wilford. Penis Wilford, what? I don't know. I started rambling, so I just started saying words. 
Carrie was scared and desperate to have this over with so she could see Ben. So she agreed. Holmes picked up the kids, met up with Alice, and they all went to Cincinnati. Where they had some shitty-ass chili. Fuck you, Cincinnati. Boom. I'm dropping this mic. I'm not really dropping it, but... Holmes picked up the kit. Wait, what's wrong with their chili? <laughs> have you not heard of Skyline Chili? I don't guess so. They put it on spaghetti first. Oh, fuck. I have heard about this yeah, bullshit. And they got like fucking cinnamon and allspice in this shit. It tastes sweet. It's like a meat paste. I did have a good meat chili. Mm-hmm. Meat. The way it should be. With cinnamon sticks in it. And it was actually fucking good. Get the fuck off my podcast. This is Texas. <laughs> it was actually good. <laughs> but there weren't... There was no fucking noodles involved. I think I'm going to make chili for dinner. Thank you, podcast. You solved another problem. I'll give you $20 if you make Cincinnati chili. No, I won't do it. You ever hear of a Cincinnati bow tie, Greg? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) To our listeners, look it up and tell us what you found in the comments. (laughs) (laughs) Rate us before, though. Yes, please. (laughs) Well, once they're there in Cincinnati, you know, him and the kids. With the shitty chili. With the shit chili. uh, Holmes rented a house. And ordered a giant stove, way too big to heat the tiny house he was renting. Before he could use it, he decided the neighbors were too nosy, and he needed to, uh, you know, skip town again. Yeah, so he showed up, he knocks on the door of an elderly lady who lives next door, and he says, Hey, we're going to be staying here for a while. And I guess that's to establish some sort of alibi or whatever. And she says, Okay, cool. And then later she sees this big fucking stove being moved into the house. And he notices that she's watching the stove be moved in. And so he goes back to her the next day and says, actually, Cincinnati has really shitty chili. We're not going to stay here. We're going to go somewhere where the chili's really good. You can have this stove and you can make all the shitty chili you want. Stoves aren't normally good for pasta, but here you go, you old nosy bitch. (laughs) Holmes, Alice, Nellie, and Howard then jumped on a train. I don't like your historical voice that you, you don't developed like for my everything. Historical voice. I hope this is just a 1900s voice. <laughs> this is my 18th century or you're 19th go- century voice. You're gonna start using it for like, you know, Pol Pot and shit. <laughs> well, now the Hmong people will not exist in my country. You know, when we crashed our planes into the World Trade Center. <laughs> <laughs> Holmes, Alice, Nellie, and Howard then jumped on a train, literally jumped. The train was getting away. It was an action movie. They were running, and and they stretched out one after the other. Like, the adult, uh, smaller child would grab his leg. Smaller child than that would grab that child's leg. And then the little boy would grab that child's leg. Classic barrel monkey situation. This is history. (laughs) So, anyway, they got on a train and headed back to Indianapolis. He then left the kids in a hotel and had them write letters to their mother that he would never deliver, but would keep for himself. He went to St. Louis and met with Carrie and Hal so they could pick up the insurance money. Holmes told Carrie that Ben wanted her to go to Galva, so she did. Holmes went back to Indianapolis where the kids were starting to get real bitchy because they were bored and missed their mom. Which, you know, that happens after about five to seven minutes. Right. And they didn't have a Nintendo Switch because he wouldn't buy him one. <sighs> Cheap son of a bitch. Right. He could buy it on credit. That's what he did with everything else, right? 
Howard was the worst offender, so Holmes told the girls he was taking Howard to stay with his cousin, Minnie. Wait, 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 wait. They were cousins? And they were fucking? Mm-hmm. Wait, no. Or maybe... Wait, no. She's... She's dead. Maybe, just maybe. He's lying. Oh, my God. What? No. What a bastard. Who would have thought? Well, that was the last. That was the last. The end. Period. The end of this podcast. (laughs) See you later. Well, that was the last time the girls ever saw their brother Howard. Oh, it's because he ran away and joined the circus or something, right? Mmm, something like that. I guess we'll find out. Big circus in the sky. Oh, the Jesus Circus. Okay, continuing on. Back in West Philadelphia, born and raised, the insurance company got an interesting letter from Mr. Marion Hedgepeth. That didn't rhyme. I'm not a good rapping person. He had seen in the papers that a man named Buttfuck Perry had died under mysterious circumstances. Best friend, Perry. And his lawyer, Jep the Howe, had told him that was Pidesville, and he'd soon be getting his $500 lawyer finder fee. The insurance company was hesitant to believe that a murdering jackwagon like Hedgepeth knew anything about this crime, but he did know one thing that he shouldn't have. Holmes and Pidesville had been late on the premium and had to rush a payment to Chicago by wire at the last moment. The insurance company then realized that they had been bamboozled and set out to find Holmes. Meanwhile, Holmes moved the kids and Georgiana to Detroit. He found a house to rent and then sent word to Carrie Peitzel that Ben was in Detroit and was ready to meet up, and so she hopped on a train and headed for Detroit, Rock City. Get up. It's our second... Uh... Kiss reference. Hey. Saving their careers as well. Oh, we- don't say that. Gene Simmons sues anybody for anything. <laughs> Please don't say that. Gene Simmons once stuck his long tongue in my asshole. Just saying. It happened. Sue me. <laughs> Sue me if it didn't happen, Gene Simmons. Sue him, not me, please. I'd like to uh, go ahead and say hello to my mother, who's listening to this podcast, <laughs> and just heard me say that a rock star has shoved his long tongue in my asshole. Hi, Mom. I would also like to say hi. Stop it. You stop. To Les Schmezli HPH is a very lovely lady, and I will not have you besmirch her name. Her fake name on this podcast. Hush, Mesley. <laughs> when Carrie got there, Holmes lied to her and told her that the kids were in Indianapolis attending school and being watched by a widow. Which, I feel like that conversation went something like, Oh yeah? What's her name? Oh, I forget. Something ethnic sounding. What the fuck? You let my kids with a woman whose name you didn't know? Yep. Okay. And that's pretty much exactly how it went. Uh, There's a little bit of nuance there where he promises if she doesn't ask any more questions, she can stay in his parents' old home in Indianapolis or something like that. But basically, she's like, just all right, whatever. I'm, I'm cool with it as long as my kids are fine. But Holmes then moved the kids, Carrie and Georgiana, to Toronto. He put himself and the kids up in one hotel, Carrie in another, and Georgiana in a third. They were all blocks away from each other, but none of them even knew that they were in the same country as each other. This is like his ballsiest con of all time. He's just playing all of these people at the same exact time. He got lazy, man. Yeah. He's like, well, fuck, I don't want to go to two different cities. Let's just have them stay in different hotels. Mm -hmm. They won't know. Hopefully they never go for a fucking walk. (laughs) (laughs) 
Then he went to Carrie and told her he noticed that the police were following him. He called them wheelmen because they rode around on bicycles. And he sent her to Ogdensburg, New York. He then rushed back to his babe in the woods, innocent wife, Georgiana, and told her that they were heading to Boston as soon as possible. This lady is so fucking clueless through this whole thing. He's moving around to all these cities, the same cities he's taking all the kids to and moving Carrie around to. And basically, she has no idea. He keeps telling her it's for his fucking ABC copier business, like a fucking copy machine that has been invented. And so she's like, okay, that makes sense to me. I love you so much. Let's go to fucking uh, Toronto now. You know, just random fucking cities that he's picking out of his hat. He's showing her the world. Yeah, bitches love worlds. That's what I learned from Aladdin. I can show you the world. I get it, Chris. (laughs) I'm just staring at you in disbelief. (laughs) (laughs) Bitches love worlds. They sure do. Allie and Nellis. Oh, Allie and Nellis. We're going to get sued by so many people for this episode. God. Alice and Nellie would never leave Toronto. Why? I don't know. We'll find out later. In Philly. (laughs) (laughs) What could possibly be the reason? Yeah, who knows? In Philly, the insurance company didn't have this handy podcast to guide them on Holmes' magical mystery tour, and they had lost his trail. They then brought in the world-famous detective agency, the Pinkertons. Oh, shit. The eye that never closes. If I know anything about the Pinkertons, they always get their man. Except... I, I I think we left this out of the last uh, episode. They were trying to get involved in the hunt for Booth when he was after he killed Lincoln. They were, but uh, they were like basically they told him to fuck off. Yeah, it was like mm, no. He he wired Washington like five days after it happened and said, "Hey, hey, we're in New Orleans, but we can come help." Mm-hmm. And they're like, "Okay." Well, Stanton, I think he was just like, mm, "No, fuck no, off. yeah, fuck off." It was fine. <laughs> we have the best Law and Order detectives from New York involved. Boom, boom. Produced by Dick Wolf. That's right. Good old Dick Wolf. God, dude. We're getting sued by, what, 10, 11 people at this point? We're basically H.H. Holmes. Just fucking bring it on. (laughs) (laughs) I will leverage everything. I will change my name and move to Fort Worth. Fuck you. (laughs) On the way to Boston, Holmes and Georgiana stopped in Ogdensburg. Holmes found Carrie and told her she needed to go to Burlington, Vermont. Coat factory. Sorry. Continue. What? Burlington Coat Factory. That's what the joke oh. was. <laughs> go get you a nice sweater. She needed to go to Burlington, Vermont <laughs> and stay in a house he had rented for her so that Ben could find her. They then went to Burlington, where Holmes stashed a bottle in the basement. Holmes then went on a solo trip to his old hometown of Gilmanton, to see his mom and dad, who he hadn't seen in years. He also visited his first wife, Clara... Cockring. Mudget, mm-hmm. as you call her, and said, Daddy's back. Now I can't stay long because of business and such. Also, I accidentally married another woman last year. <clears throat> Happens to <clears throat> all. Excuse me. Excuse Happens me. to all of us. <laughs> Same conversation in my household last year. <laughs> <laughs> he then told her that a year earlier... He had been in a train wreck, gotten amnesia, fallen in love with his nurse Georgina Yoke, and married her, and had recently remembered, oh fuck, I'm still married to Clara, who I haven't seen in like six fucking years. And 
she bought it. Yeah, hook, line, and sinker. She's like, okay, yeah, yeah, makes sense. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> Before he left Gilmanton, he dropped a letter in the mail to Carrie Peitzel. He asked her to move the bottle he had hidden in her house from the basement to the attic, or maybe just hide it in a different spot in the basement. Unbeknownst to her, the bottle contained nitroglycerin. She moved it, but unfortunately for Triple H, she didn't get blown up to hell. Yeah, that was his whole entire plan. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to hide. Will you vigorously move this bottle? <laughs> yeah, please shake it up as you're walking up the stairs. Because of those of you that don't know, nitroglycerin is extremely unstable. Yeah. And... Tends to explode. In that form, if you move it too much, it will blow up. Yeah, but still, his entire plan to get rid of Carrie Peitzel was hiding a bottle and asking her to move the bottle in a letter. He was a very uh, charismatic man. Yeah. He was not the smartest of men. (laughs) So on November 15th, he was on his way to Boston, unaware that the Pinkertons had been watching him his entire time in New Hampshire and were right on his heels. When they got to Boston, they decided to arrest Holmes. They wanted to toss him in jail for insurance fraud, but the superintendent of police in Boston refused to write a warrant, saying their investigation was pretty weak. Yeah, all he had was a dead body they thought might be Ben Peitzel. Who knows? Maybe. I don't know. Makes sense. Who can really say? Yeah. I mean, the teeth add up, but... They then sent a wire to everywhere they knew Holmes had stayed, asking if there was any reason they wanted this jackass arrested. Because they're getting desperate at this point. Yeah, they need him. Yeah. Any reason to take him. They're not going to grant this warrant. Yeah. Oh, fuck, somebody's got to have a reason. <laughs> yeah. This dude's been everywhere. He's in everywhere, man. He's been a... So I just, yeah, I want further yeah. reason to get sued. Chicago, Fort Worth, Indianapolis, Detroit, Toronto, Audienville. That was pretty good, right? That's, yes, it was amazing, Chris. That's, that's how the song goes, Greg. <laughs> Fort Worth sent back word that Holmes had stolen a horse and they were right pissed off about it. A horse. A horse. They, yeah. they did issue a warrant for theft of one horse. Right. After <laughs> all the horses? Yeah. It's just, all right, well, this one. Yeah. The superintendent said that was good enough for him, and a warrant was issued. On November 16th, 1894, Holmes was arrested. And he was fucked because that horse was willing to testify against him. It was a descendant of Rocket Horse. Halloween noises Moment of silence for Rocket Horse Holmes was interrogated and told he was under arrest for horse theft Not wanting to do hard labor in a Texas prison Which fucking sucked at the time He then confessed to insurance fraud He said a doctor from New York had provided him with a body And that Benjamin Peitzel was in South America with his children That makes sense, right? Totally. Yeah, he's just down there. Regular things. Yeah, living it up in South America. His confession resulted in the arrest of Carrie Peitzel. She also was interrogated, and she said she believed that her husband was alive and her children were still in Toronto because that's what Holmes had told her. Not once had he said anything to Carrie about Ben taking the children to fucking Carnival in Rio. (laughs) They were both extradited to Philadelphia, and along the way, Holmes told one of the investigators a whole bunch of bullshit lies about his past including saying that he had defrauded insurance companies at least a dozen times and that he had a girlfriend named Minnie Williams who had become jealous of her sister Nanny and she had brained her with a stool in his Chicago office. That's aggressive. Yep. He said he helped toss Nanny into Lake Michigan and took the Fort Worth property as payment. 
On December 7th, 1941, a day which shall live in infamy. Not true. On December 7th, <laughs> he sat in jail. Holmes learned that through the papers that Carrie Peisel had confessed everything and the police were getting ready to pull up the body of Ben and try once again to verify his identity. In an effort to stay ahead of the story, Holmes decided to change his confession. See, that was the body of Ben Peisel. It wasn't the random body from New York that his buddy, which you wouldn't know because he goes to a different school, brought to him. <laughs> but Holmes hadn't actually killed him. He had committed suicide. He said he'd found Peitzel on September 1st with a towel over his face and a bottle of chloroform nearby. There was a suicide note. It was written like in a cryptic language that only Holmes and Peitzel knew, but Holmes had destroyed it after reading it. Which, oh yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I got the note. Whatever. Holmes was super sad about his dead bestie, his dead uh, buttfuck buddy, uh, B.F. Perry. But there was no sense in letting a good corpse go to waste, so he moved the body down to the second floor and staged the crime scene. The district attorney decided to drop the case against Carrie Peitzel. He brought in Holmes for an interview and told him that he was going to charge him with the murder of Ben and all of the kids. He said, listen, fuckstick, I'll believe you if you can tell me where the kids are. Holmes then said that they are all living with Minnie Williams in London and that she'd open a massage parlor, which is, that's a good place for kids, right? Yeah. And this massage parlor was located at number 80 Verder Street in London. Of course... The officers then wired to Scotland Yard, and Scotland Yard said, yeah, we'll help you, but uh, that address doesn't fucking exist. Just completely fucking made up. And that was when Detective Frank Geyer of the Philadelphia PD got on the case. Starting in June of 1895, using the letters that Alice and Nellie had wrote... And that Holmes had kept like a fucking moron. Yeah. He began to retrace their steps in search for the kids. Cincinnati turned up little but confirmation that Holmes and the kids were there. And some shitty chili. Awful chili, apparently. The worst chili in the world. I'd forgotten about this (laughs) pasta monstrosity. (laughs) My hatred for Cincinnati chili. (laughs) But my love for Cincinnati bow ties. Let me know what you think in the comments. (laughs) (laughs) He went to Indianapolis and came across some evidence that led him to believe Howard had died there, but nothing concrete. Then he went to Chicago and talked to some people who knew Holmes as Harry Gordon and had seen him hanging out with Emmeline Sagrand. He went to Detroit and got more confirmation from witnesses, saying that Holmes was traveling with two girls, but the boy was not seen. On July 7th, he made it to Toronto. People there didn't really know the story, and when he was interviewing hotel owners and real estate agents, he got sick and tired of telling people the same story over and over again. Seriously, like how many times can I tell you people, I'm looking for a guy who's probably murdered a bunch of people, including three children? That led him to a house on St. Vincent Street. When they spoke with neighbors, the man said he had loaned Holmes a shovel so that he, uh, you know, no big deal, could dig up a hole in the cellar to store some potatoes. Man, that is one old-timey request. No shit. If I came to your house and said, hey... Hey, a shovel. Why don't you give me that spade shovel? Let me dig uh, in my cellar for some potatoes. You know, <laughs> I'm gonna plant some, plant some potatoes down there. Like what the fuck are you talking? But t- John, you're 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 fucked up. Potatoes are like a buck fifty for like five pounds. Just go fucking buy some potatoes, man. <laughs> Frank Garr borrowed the same shovel and went knocking on the door of the house Holmes had rented. When he began to dig in the cellar, there they found the two decaying bodies of Alice and Nellie Peitzel tossed in a shallow grave, lying on top of each other. The bodies were transported to the Toronto morgue. 
When Holmes was arrested, the police had recovered a large trunk with a hole drilled in the side. It then became the accepted theory that Holmes had convinced the girls to climb into the trunk and use the hole to fill the trunk with gas, suffocating them. Of course, it was 1895, and Carrie Peitzel was forced to travel to Toronto to identify the bodies. They were so decomposed that they only showed her Alice's teeth and Nellie's long black hair. She positively identified both girls. Which again, we're showing you teeth and hair. How do you identify somebody by their fucking hair? Maybe it's like a slow reveal, like they start Mm. with the teeth. And it's like you slowly pull the cloth (laughs) up until they're like, okay, okay, enough. Enough! That's them. Yes, I reckon. Yeah, it's a fucked up situation. Uh, That's her grill. Oh, yeah, she has cock slave or whatever you had said. Cocksmith? I don't remember. Cockslave? <laughs> yeah. You think one of my dads, one of my three dads, would have cockslave? Why would cocksmith be in his fucking teeth? I don't know. Why would cockslave? Well, what are you implying about my three dads? You have three dads, so apparently one of them, you know, went to the other side after realizing some truths about himself. Either way, that's not about your dads. This is this is about a dead child. Greg. I'm sorry, dads. A little sensitivity here. Now, it is reported uh, in several places that Nellie, her feet had been cut off when they found her, like she had no feet, and she had club feet. Right. So, a lot- Cut them off for identification. Yeah, a lot of people speculated that's why. Uh, It turns out they found her feet later. Like, they were just, they were in the same grave. They just kind of like- fallen off through the Mm-mm. decomposition process. Decomposition. Yeah. De- I like it. Yeah, so um, that was all bullshit. Like, he hadn't tried to hide her identity. He never thought anybody would find the fucking bodies in the first place. So why why chop off her feet at that point? Fun. Fun. <laughs> it's fun, fun, fun. Now my daddy took my big feet away. <laughs> <laughs> really, Beach Boys? Wee! <laughs> oh, not leaving that in there. <laughs> it's a funny joke. Stupid bitch. You're a stupid bitch. Back in Chicago, investigators decided to take a look inside of Holmes's castle. They brought along some reporters just for shits and giggles. They found the secret rooms, hidden passages, and trap doors. In the vault, they found a woman's footprint had been etched on the inside of the door. It is believed that this was either Emmeline Sagrans or Nanny Williams, but no one is really sure... And no one really knows how it burned itself onto the metal, although someone speculated that uh, Holmes had thrown acid onto the floor to kind of, like, expedite the suffocation process. Yeah. And that she got acid on her feet and pushed it up against the door. Uh, Sounds really stupid. Yeah, Holmes said it was uh, Nanny Williams. There were other people who say it was Emmeline's. We don't really fucking know. In Holmes' office, they found a stove. One investigator stuck his arm into the stovepipe and pulled out a rib bone, some buttons from a woman's blouse, and a piece of watch chain that was later identified by the jeweler working in the first floor of the castle as the chain that Holmes had bought for Minnie Williams. Just another Wednesday. One of the reporters decided, well, that detective didn't do his job right, so he shoved his arm inside the stove, too, and pulled out a big clump of charred human hair which he described as long and too long to be from a man because it's 1895 and long-haired men are basically fucking pariahs. So it obviously had to come from a woman. Wait, they're not still? Oh, yeah. Fuck you, hippies. (laughs) (laughs) I heard the actual, the stovepipe was clogged with hair. Yeah, clogged with human hair. They made their way down to the basement where they found the operating table, the furnace, and the pit's quicklime. 
They also found a giant tank of gas, which some idiot poked a hole in with a pickaxe, and another idiot lit a match by, causing a small explosion. Which nobody was killed. That's good, right? Yay! They went back down into the basement and were able to dig up the southwest corner where they found human bones, including a rib cage that looked like it belonged to a child between the ages of four and eight. They had found what they believed to be the bones of Pearl Connor, Julio's daughter. John Connor's distant grandmother that the Terminator will eventually go back in time to kill. H.H. Holmes was the Terminator. Well, that changes things completely. I didn't say that. (laughs) Holmes got wind of this through the papers and denied killing either, but did say that Julia died during her abortion. Which, you know. It's an abortion. Shit happens, right? An abortion. An abortion. He also maintained a story that many had killed Nanny and then fled the city. Now the papers began to paint Holmes as pure evil, and nearly every damn crime that happened in the city was pinned on him in some way. He basically, he becomes the boogeyman of Chicago. Yeah. Anybody who disappeared, anybody who died, that was Holmes. That's a sensationalist writing at the time. Yep. Still, there wasn't any hard evidence that Holmes had murdered all these people that uh, had disappeared, or that the remains that they had found belonged to those victims, so Chicago decided not to charge him until they saw what happened in his trial in Philadelphia, because there... He had been charged with the murder of Benjamin Peitzel. And that was the whole thing. It's like, all right, we're going to charge you, but it's probably not going to matter. Because once you get convicted there, you're a dead man. Yeah, we'll just wait and see. Because, yeah, the the penalty for murder in Philadelphia at the time is execution. Yeah. So. So Elton John was lying when he sang Philadelphia City Freedom. Nope, he that was almost 100 years later. (laughs) He was not lying then. Whatever. (laughs) So Frank Geyer was still on the hunt for Howard Peitzel, but was growing desperate. Convinced that the boy hadn't made it out of Indianapolis alive, he went back there and again began to ask around. He put the story in the papers again and was about to give up when a man from nearby Irvington contacted him and told him that Holmes had rented a house from him. He remembered because Holmes, you know, as Holmes would do, he was a complete dick and had insulted him when picking up the keys to the house. Yeah, he said something like, he didn't respect the gray hairs on yeah. my head. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Guy went to the house and began to dig around in the cellar, but uh, the search turned up nothing. He went back to his hotel, but was contacted by the homeowner, who told him that, uh, you know, after he left, two neighborhood boys had come by to play detective and had dung around the chimney that was in the cellar. They had found part of a femur and some bone fragments. Guy raced back to the house and smashed open the chimney. He immediately found a complete set of teeth and a lower jaw. After that, he pulled a large charred mass from the chimney that was cut open by a doctor. Inside were the remains of a stomach, liver, spleen, and intestines. Uh, You know, apparently they had basically been packed so tight into the chimney that they didn't have space to burn. Yeah, they Like, there wasn't space for oxygen to get to them to burn. It just burned around them, like, formed like this cocoon of organs. Sexy. Yeah. That's what I call my penis. A cocoon of organs. Multiple organs? Figure it out, ladies. (laughs) (laughs) After nearly two months of searching, Frank Geyer had found all of the Peitzel children. Holmes then wrote his side of the story and had it published. And it was complete and utter bullshit. He wrote some crap about moving a body around on a train and fighting off a nosy police officer, which is actually kind of funny in hindsight. Like, he's talking about everybody could smell the body. This dude got real nosy. He showed up in my uh, hotel (laughs) hotel room, and I 
I took his gun away from him and scared him. He jumped out the window and ran away, which is like, come on, dude. You're like, this is like a six-year-old's version of this story. <laughs> You're writing fiction yeah. as you speak. He detailed the murder of Nanny Williams by Minnie Williams. He talked all about Peitzel committing suicide, and he invented a guy named Hatch who said he was Minnie Williams' friend, and he was probably the one who had killed all those kids. Just like, doesn't exist. Fuck it. Make up this dude. Yeah, Hatch, he, dude. He did it. Mr. Hatch. Hatch Chilis. No one believed it, and he was arraigned and put on trial on October 28th. The trial was a goddamn circus. Holmes fired his attorneys and represented himself. He actually did pretty well for himself during this trial. Uh, but, for the most part, the judge wouldn't put up with any of his crap. Like, every time he objected, requested a recess or an extension, the judge said, fuck off, you don't know what you're doing. You know, figure this shit out as you go. When Carrie Peitzel got up to testify, she was shown the letters her daughters had written for the first time. She began to cry. The people watching in the courtroom began to cry. The fucking judge began to cry. Holmes sat calmly in his chair, doodling on a pad. Well, you know, he's taking notes of the trial because yeah. he's representing himself. Yeah, he needs to know doing. how to cross. No, he is. <laughs> he, he's preparing to, you know, cross-examine. Apparently... Unlike a lot of trials, she was not prepared for No, they didn't tell this. her anything. Yeah. They just so, brought, her, brought her in and started showing her evidence and let her react. Yeah. Which, which is kind of a ballsy move, but it's kind of pays off. Like, I, Yeah, it does. Let, but Let's let her ball on the it's stand. It's kind of fucked up. Yeah, it is really fucked up to do to her. But yeah, it, it does. It, it pays off. And when you got the judge crying, man, you're fucking guilty. You're done. Like, There's nothing you can do. For sure. The next day, when Georgiana Yoke was brought in, Holmes began to cry and wail like an eight-year-old with skin neat. So basically, he's like, oh shit, no one saw me cry yesterday when uh, Carrie was on the stand. He's going to reprise his role. He's like, oh shit, let's, let's play this up. I'm going to cry for my wife, who has no idea about any of this shit. She's just been like, yeah, let's go on a trip. No one believed him. They, they didn't believe it was authentic at all. Holmes then rehired his attorneys for some fucking reason, maybe to save face. Like, I didn't lose this trial. They fucking lost this trial. But it didn't really mean anything because after the prosecution rested, the defense called no witnesses. The jury found him guilty of the murder of Benjamin Peitzel and sentenced him to death by hanging. Spooky. Spooky Halloween noises. <laughs> As he awaited his execution, Holmes was contacted by the Philadelphia Inquirer and offered $7,500 to write his confession. In his confession, he admitted to killing 27 people. The first one was Dobbert. Dobbert. Dobbert Doctor. <laughs> Dobbert Rockter. Dobbert Rockter Leak. The first one was Dr. Robert Leacock, <laughs> who was in insured for a large sum of money. Then he killed a tenant that owed him money. Then he killed Julia Connor and John Connor. And her four-year-old, Pearl, saying he had intentionally killed Julia during her abortion and had poisoned Pearl. Emmeline Sagrand was his 11th victim, and he said he killed her because she was cheating on him and was going to marry the other man. He cleared Minnie Williams's name and said he had killed both of them in the vault of his castle. Howard Peitzel, he said he gave chloroform and then chopped up into bits. He confirmed the paper's stories about Alice and Nellie saying he had put them in the trunk and filled it with gas. It was a chilling confession, but a lot of it was pure nonsense. Several of the people he claimed to have killed were actually still alive. Wait, 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 wait. What? They lied? 
They lied to H.H. H. Holmes about their names. Who who did he kill? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was all bullshit. Like Dr. Robert Leacock lived long after H.H. H. Holmes. Yes. <laughs> Just complete made up nonsense. Much like a, a many number of people he claimed to kill. Yep. Cue heavy metal music. The biggest piece of bullshit came when Holmes said that he didn't believe he was human anymore, and while he sat in jail, his features were changing. His face became elongated and thin, and he could feel horns beginning to protrude from his forehead. He was turning into the fucking devil. Oh, boy. Yeah. On May 7th, 1896, Holmes was given a breakfast of coffee, eggs, and toast, and led to the gallows. He took the opportunity to take back his entire confession and say that in his entire life he'd only killed two people, and they were both women who had died accidentally during failed abortions. Oh, well. Yeah. (laughs) Here are the keys. Here's the keys to the cellar. See you later. Have a good one. Yeah. A hood was placed over his head, and the noose was placed around his neck. His last words were, quote, Make it quick, Alex. Like, all right, that's some shitty last words, whatever. The trap door was opened and his body dropped. His neck didn't snap, but instead he was slowly strangled. At 10.25 a.m. on May 7th, he was officially pronounced dead. Good riddance slash, I heard that uh, the hanging took like 15 minutes. Oh, it took a long time. Like the doctor had to check on him multiple times. But apparently the... The guards liked him. Yeah, the guards did like He was so charismatic. You would have figured that, you know, they would have made sure. That's why he said, make it quick, Alex. He was talking to a guard. He's like, please just fucking snap my neck and end this. And they're like, yeah, we got you, bro. Yeah. Prank. YouTube prank right here. Yeah. (laughs) So that's fucking story, guys. That's it. That's at the end of H.H. Holmes. Um, Now, thank God. Yeah. And this next part is uh it's kind of important. It's our our world famous America's favorite segment, misconceptions of anything ever, not yeah. just this podcast. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh misconceptions slash things we were surprised to learn, and in this episode, slash how much of it is true, slash was he really a serial killer? It's a lot of slashes. Yeah. But slashes because it's a Halloween episode. And he's a slasher. Oh, he never used a knife. And I would actually, not a I would like to take a second. There is a series, while I was researching this, I, I came across this series on the History Channel called American Ripper, where the great, great grandson of uh, Holmes, this guy named Jeff Mudgett, tries to connect the dots saying that H.H. H. Holmes was actually Jack the Ripper because, you know, the crimes kind of take place at the same time. There's no way. No. And the best part of the series, it's like a nine episodes. It's all circumstantial evidence. That's complete bullshit. Like, oh. I got your circumcised evidence right here. <laughs> Jack the Ripper used medical tools. Holmes was a doctor. Obviously connected. Oh, circumstantial. Is it I say circumcised? No, I did. Okay. I, I misread. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, they go back to Chicago, where the murder castle is, or was, is now a post office. And there's like a grass lot where the murder castle actually stood. They dug up the murder castle, 
grass lot to try and find like extra dead bodies and found, you know, jack shit. And then the coup de gras was digging up Holmes's grave because uh, Jeff Mudgett believed that Holmes was the ultimate con man and had faked his own death. And actually, Holmes, it, it kind of makes sense to think about because Holmes was a great con man. And he had requested that when he be buried, that they encase his grave yeah. in 10 feet of concrete so no one could fuck with it. So it was like pretty well preserved. Yeah. And they immediately were like, mm, yep. Yep, that's Holmes. <laughs> yeah, it took like two seconds for him to go, oh, yeah, 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 that's that's Holmes. And they did DNA testing on the body. It was really well preserved, like you did said. Did they actually do DNA testing? Yeah. It was that recent. They were okay. like, okay, yeah. That's Holmes. He's like, yeah. well, all right, see you in season two of American Ripper. Like, I don't know what the fuck are we going from here? Uh, but yeah, do you think uh, Holmes was a serial killer? I've kind of already answered this. Yeah. Uh, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, it really seems like he was, a, you know, an opportunist more than anything. Yeah, there was no urge there. I don't feel like he had an urge to kill. I feel like he, he saw a need. He saw all these scams he was running falling apart. I think it was scams. I think it was an extreme, extreme con man that was a sociopath to where it's just like, all right, well, yeah. he just like he got out of control with it. Yeah. He just started having to kill, kill, kill. Yeah. Whereas yeah. I don't think he, he did it for any sort of compulsion other than to get away with his cons. Yeah. And there, I, I do agree that there was some sort of psychopathy or sociopathy where he viewed like murdering Howard Mudgett, or I'm sorry, Howard Peitzel, the the boy, the small boy, as the same as dissecting a corpse in medical school. Like, he didn't really feel any empathy for the boy, but he saw why it had to be done. But I don't feel like there was some sort of, like, if I don't kill right now, I won't be able to, you know, have some sort of arousal or whatever it is that sexual predators and serial killers have. You know, this, this drive to kill. He yeah. just... He just killed because he needed to kill. To, a means to an end. Yeah, to cover up his crimes. Not that the the killing itself was the means to the end. It right. was getting rid of this person. Yeah, that, maybe, that will the, solve a problem. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, did you have any misconceptions going into this? Fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize that World's Fairs lasted for like months. Six, like five or six months. It yeah. makes sense. Yeah. I get it now thinking about it. You know, everybody from the country has to... You know, kind of converse on this one area. Mm -hmm. It, I get it now. But it was a big fucking deal. There were so many things that came out of this World's Fair that, I mean, we're still using today. Mm -hmm. You've got Ferris wheels, shredded wheat cereal. Yeah, that they card they called like what a uh, cardboard toast. I believe <laughs> and they they thought for sure it wasn't going to work. It would have helped carry Pizza when she was pooping so much. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> it would have made her poop more. Yeah, but quicker. That that's true. She wouldn't be so constipated <laughs> yeah. on the toilet. Um, juicy fruit gum. Yeah, cracker jacks. Cracker jacks. Yeah. There's so many things that came out of this. It, it is really crazy. Incandescent light bulbs. Yeah, that was a big deal for this fair. And like uh, purified water. Yeah. Yeah. This is all new stuff that they brought into this fair. And that's how these world's fairs they they went. Yeah. Like you know they weren't every year, but they were every like couple years, every few years. And it was always, like, the world showcasing their inventions. Yeah. And this one, it was, you know, American opulence. We're going to show everybody how fucking great we are and all that, you know. And yeah, which is, it's it's hard to imagine because now 
we think of a fair. We think of like shitty carnival games, yeah. like terrible fried food, a bunch of what ha- do you mean terrible? Hastily constructed rides that you're not really sure you want to send your children on. I'm pretty sure that you the would, Ferris wheels we go on now uh-huh. are 100% safer than the w- no. <laughs> Way less safe than that one. Oh yeah, that one was really well designed. Like he was, and he was really worried that it was going to collapse. Yeah, he put it, He made it. Yeah, uh, but I bet you these ones have a higher failure rate than the so, ones he made. So you wouldn't put a uh, what was it, Gregette, and uh, what was the other child's name? I can't be expected to know what I said thirty <laughs> minutes ago, Chris. You you wouldn't put them on the Ferris wheels of today, but the I Ferris, would. Yeah. I actually That's would. because you don't care about Gregette. No, I would you, hope an accident would you happen. You long abandoned him. Uh, yeah, so, you know, as far as my misconceptions, I had read all of the bullshit about Holmes. I had read, you know, first serial killer, killed all these people. Every single woman who came to Chicago stayed in his hotel. Never. And was never saw again, right? You know, they... Uh, and then you start digging and actually it took me a long time to research this one. We did actually a little bit more research on this and we did other subjects because those other, other subjects are a little bit more nailed down. When you start digging into this, like the historical aspects, not the true crime aspects, you start realizing that maybe he didn't actually kill all these people. Maybe right. he was just more of a con man swindler and was trying to make a buck than he was trying to kill people. And that's like a realization that, you know... You're just kind of, you're left disappointed. It is. After it, fun, you're like, oh, damn it. It is weird, right? Knew this was too good to be true. You're, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're real sad. You're a little bit disappointed that he didn't kill more people. Why couldn't he have killed more people? Yeah, it's real weird how that works, that that bloodlust, that true crime. Like, ooh, I want to hear about somebody that's really fucked up. Yeah. And, you know, there's no shame in that. We all have that experience. But at the same time, it's like, okay, let's start deep diving into this and once you start looking at the facts of the cases and you're like oh okay he he just fucking killed people that got in his way he didn't really fucking murder, yeah. murder a whole bunch of single women in chicago darn yeah <laughs> all right man well i guess is that it well i had fun doing it i did too even though you know what it's not history uh, we can admit it. We made it history. We did. We made it history by sucking the life out of it. <laughs> sucking the fu- <laughs> Sorry, guys. Here's yeah. the real story. Yeah. Sorry for the truth. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I did have fun. And it's always interesting to take some story you think you know, some story you think you've heard before, and then dig into it and find a little bit more truth. I agree. And so I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you, you're like, oh, this changes my perspective just a little bit. And then next time you're at a bar, hanging out at the club, and somebody brings up H.H. Holmes, which, you know, fucking happens all the time. It's here and there. Yeah, you can say, well, actually. And then... <laughs> and then you gotta be that guy. The music just fucking stops. <laughs> yeah, and you explain yourself, and everybody's like, okay, cool, thanks. Um, uh, okay, we didn't ask but and you can just have that smug look on your face because like, you know you the didn't truth. have to yeah. um but you know you guys listen to this and this is a work of passion yeah for for chris and i but at you know as we're going through each of these topics we're learning a lot we absolutely are yeah and so this was one of those where it was it was kind of cool to learn that oh well Everything that everybody says about this is complete bullshit. But, <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, cool. Yeah, nice. Uh, happy Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> all 
All right, guys. Well, scary Halloween noises. Oh, scary Halloween noises. Yes. Um, also, find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. All of that is at 100100 proof history. And you can find us when you're searching for podcasts at 100 proof history spelled out H U N D R E D. You can also technically find us when you search for 100 proof history, but do it right. Do the right thing. Come on. Yeah. You don't, you want to take shortcuts in this life. No. You want to live your life the right way and find out the horrible truth about serial killers and find out they're not really maybe serial killers or just dickheads. And that, you know, the truth shall set you free. I'm staring at Chris. <laughs> That's all he asks. <laughs> uh, you know, HPH, whatever. Yeah. All right. And uh, we love you guys. Thanks for having a drink with us. Thank you for listening. And uh, we'll see you next time. See you. Peace. Out.